We're in the middle of a series uh, for the summer in Philippians called Lessons from Lockdown. Uh, when Paul wrote this, uh, this letter, he was in lockdown. He was waiting to be, um, well, to go on trial and then probably executed, which is uh, what, what ended up happening. He was, he was killed um, not too long after he wrote this. While he was in lockdown, Paul uh, found himself sort of emptied of a lot of the things that had been standard and, and, and part of his life for a long time. Um, Part of it was he couldn't really go anywhere. He was locked down in house arrest. He couldn't leave. Uh, but another part of it was physical. I mean, at this point, Paul's probably uh, nearly blind. And certainly, uh, he's been beaten all his life, really, since he becomes a Christian. And his body's kind of failing him. And so he's especially attuned at this time to the stuff that, that, that you lose in lockdown, the stuff that you're emptied of, things that had been filled up in your life but are now poured out. And I think we've probably all experienced some of that too during this, this past, I mean, how many, is it three, four months now um, of lockdown and unlock and relock and and all of that's happening. Uh, and there's things I found that I actually, I mean, as far as lockdown people go, I love lockdown because I don't really want to leave the house that much. But even I have found myself missing some things. Uh, let's just skip to that first picture of the, uh, the alarm clock. I've found myself actually kind of missing alarms. And the reason is, is that I am, by nature, totally unstructured in my life. I, I, I hate structure. I hate responsibility. I hate anything that makes me feel like I'm not free. And yet, I know that those things are good for me. And so I'm at a point where I'm like, because, I mean, wow, that was the first thing to go, like waking up. <laughs> yeah, nope. And, and then that means that the girls are governing themselves uh, for the first, you know, two to three hours that they're awake. That's a bad thing. Another thing I've, that's been, I've been emptied of, which originally I was super pumped about, and now I'm not, is watching them play soccer. Like, I can't stand watching my kids uh, play soccer. I don't understand the sport or care about it. Um, but, I, and so at first I was like, yes, no more soccer. Maybe it never come back. And now I'm like, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That was really good for them. And as much as it wasn't, you know, good for me, like, I can see that they really benefit from that. And that, that's been poured out. It's been poured out of our lives, their lives, my life. And I imagine there's things that have been poured out of your lives as well. It's routines that you had, things that, that you now, maybe, maybe at the beginning you were like, yes, and now you kind of miss it. Or maybe you've just missed it the whole time, but it's been let go. Well, Paul, he sees this dynamic in his life. And he recognizes that it's the dynamic of Jesus' life too. And so he counsels the Philippians in this text, you need to empty yourselves. Because the one that we follow emptied himself first. So let's uh, look at this. This is my translation of this text. Um, and where, the, where it departs you know, a, a lot, I'll, I'll, I'll point out. But this is uh, the, the, in, the, the famous Christ hymn of Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Paul writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a treasure to be hoarded. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and being born into human experience. 
Then finding himself in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every, every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we're going to be focusing on the first half of this. And next week we're going to focus on the second half. And that's good news and bad news because the bad news comes first, the good news comes second. And so we're going to kind of be confronted by some very uncomfortable truths about who Jesus is and what Paul thinks Jesus is calling us to. So the first thing you notice is uh, that we're all, you know, Paul's like, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And we said last week, mind there is, it's kenosis, it's, um, I'm sorry, it's uh, phrenesis. Mind is a, uh, it, it's not like, it's, not, it's more like a, the, you know, everything that you do and say and think. It's like your way of approaching the world, how you perceive. You might even think of it as a worldview uh, in, in our terms. It's, it's this, this idea that like however you operate in the world, um, that's your mind. And, and, and so Paul's like, let your way of operating in the world be the same as Christ Jesus. Right? And, 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 you know, what was that like? What is it that Christ Jesus' mindset was like? Next slide, please. Not that one. Not that one. That one. I, I, I showed you this, uh, this, this painting before, and it's, it's cool because uh, this is the Apostle Paul as he's contemplating writing this, uh, th- this, this letter. And, and you notice there on the side that there's this massive broadsword that he is now too weak to carry. And there's this, these huge books of, of his writings and maybe the Old Testament that he clearly can no longer carry because he's, he's feeble, he's, he's weakened. Well, Paul sees that kind of, he sees weakness. He sees in Christ something that he recognizes in himself as he's, as he's aging. This isn't a mindset. This isn't a way of approaching the world that's, that's conquering in any, any traditional sense of the term. And so Paul says, that's the kind of way I want you to approach the world, the way that Jesus did it. And going back to the text. How was he? he was, though he was in the form of God, we'll talk about that in a second, he did not regard equality with God as a treasure to be hoarded. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Paul uses the word, a word three different words that can be translated as form in this text. Um, the first two that are here, form of God and form of slave, I've left as form. It's, they're, they're the same word, morphe, uh, in Greek. They, uh, they kind of mean like, they can mean like shape. Or um, the way that your the way that your your appearance reflects who you are inside. Okay, think about that. Like the way that your your appearance reflects who you are inside. So like you might you might use this word to talk about a triangle. You might say uh, that that sh- that shape is a triangle. What that means is whatever you're looking at has the nature or the attributes of a triangle. It's got three sides, three angles. Um, it the all the the angles I think add up to 180 degrees. Is that high school geometry for the win? 180 degrees. So if, if something has the shape, the shape of a, a triangle, then, then its attributes are the same as a, a, a triangles. 
And Paul, where I have uh, treasure to be hoarded, the, the word there is literally uh, like something that you've grasped, usually uh, by stealing or robbing. Um, but it's really, it's, it's something that's precious to you uh, that you want to like squeeze and hold because you, you've taken, lay, you've laid hold of it and you don't want to let it go. And so I've, it, the, my, my image here is of uh, the, the dragon smog from the hobbit, like crouched over uh, his, all of his gold. And then and Bilbo's like, dude, can I steal some gold? And he's like, no, it's mine. Well, that's kind of what this word is. And, and, and isn't this funny? Jesus, it, though he's in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, having God's attributes as a treasure to be hoarded. He doesn't think that that's necessary. I got a picture here of uh, Daniel Lambert on the left there. Daniel Lambert um, was, uh, at the time of his death, was the uh, largest man uh, that had been recorded. At the time of his death, he was 739 pounds. Um, and so he had very, very large suits. Uh, he actually, Daniel Lambert, he was, I think he, he lived in the 19th century in England, in Britain, uh, outside Leicester. And, uh, and he, he was so large uh, that he couldn't do most of the things that you do to make money. And so what he ended up doing is he would, inv- he would charge people to come and hang out with him to see how big he was. And they would be like, wow, you're very large. And he was very articulate and, and wise. He even went on tour. Uh, he toured around England um, to show like the world's largest man. He made money that way. Imagine Daniel Lambert trying to fit into that little Korean boy's suit. It wouldn't work. That little Korean boy, I mean, he's, he's slender. You know, he's, he's small, and his, his suit's like tight-fitting, right? It's, it's form-fitting. There's no way a 739-pound man could get into that suit. Well, this is exactly what Paul thinks Jesus had to do, or the eternal word, the Son of God, the eternal Son, the Word of God, had to do to become human. See, the Word of God uh, is eternal and infinite and omnipresent and omnipotent and and, and, uh, all-powerful and all the different things that God is, right? Uh, Speaking of that word, morphe, shape, the eternal Son has all of the attributes of God, and so God is everywhere, right? Well, can a human being be everywhere? Nope. We're limited in our perspective. And God is all-powerful. God can do anything, right? Well, can a human being do anything? And God, and God is eternal, right? God is everlasting. God never changes, right? Well, can a human being never change? These are all attributes of God that Paul thinks uh, Jesus, or the Son, empties out of himself to fit into humanity. This is when Paul says he emptied himself. That's uh, the the Greek word's kenosis. He he empties, he pours out all of the advantages of being God, right? Like how great is being God? It must be so incredible to be infinite. It must be so incredible to be able to be anywhere, to do anything. And yet a a lot of those things, a lot of those things, the son had to kind of dump out of himself for a time, to let go of for a time so that he could truly be like us. Here's the first thing, your note sheets. 
But Paul wants to zero in into three different things the sun empties out. And these three things, Paul says, I want you, Philippians, to think about emptying yourselves of. So let's look at him, the first one. The first thing, he empties himself by what? Taking the form of a slave. All of the attributes of a slave. He humbles himself to the point of what? Death. Humbling himself. I have a picture of the sun. Do you know how hot the surface of the sun is? Wild guess. Very hot, yes. It, the, the, I'm sorry? 10, degrees. He's got it. David Bennett, everyone, history teacher. Yeah, it's about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 9,940 degrees Fahrenheit, 93 million miles away. So the scientists got together and they thought, how close could we get a human being to the sun? And the scientists believed that they could get, it's 93 million miles away, just for reference, um, the circumference of the earth is about 25,000 miles. So um, they think that they could get an astronaut about a million miles from the sun without dying. A million miles. Uh, for reference, that's about 40 times around the earth. Um, that's how close you could get to the sun because the sun's so hot. And the way that they would do this is they would, they would get all of the best materials on Earth and they would put together a spaceship and a space suit, uh, a space suit that could withstand approximately 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit before disintegrating. And so they think if they had all the right, you know, turbo rockets and whatnot, that they could get a human being about a million miles from the sun. The sun uh, is pretty glorious. The glory of the sun would incinerate even the most well-protected human being at a million miles away. And the glory of the sun is a fraction, a sliver of the glory of God. God's glory is so immense, so overwhelming, that a thousand suns don't have God's brightness, God's heat, God's incandescence, God's transcendence. A thousand, a million suns are, are nothing to God. God, cre- I mean, how many billions of stars are billions of suns in the universe? And God created them all out of his own power and glory. And here is a being who is God and has God's attributes, God's glory, the glory of a billion sons. And he comes to humanity like this. If you imagine an oil drum filled with water, and you imagine that as God's glory. In order to fit, in order to be human, the sun empties it out until there's just the tiniest little droplet left of, of, of a drum of water so that he wouldn't incinerate us just by being with us and then has the temerity, the tenacity, the, the madness to come and wash our feet. You love uh, Peter's expression here. He's mad. 
right? He's angry as Jesus is washing his feet. Peter's like, you shouldn't be doing this. You have the glory of a billion sons. And you've taken the form of a slave. I was pretty mad. You know what makes me mad? When I heard that his majesty, Gavin Newsom, told me we couldn't sing today. Yeah. I was like, Lord Newsom, who do you think you are? Like your royal eminence, Gavin. How dare you? It's not that I don't, I mean, I, look, the science, I mean, it seems like it's very legitimate that, you know, droplets can transfer COVID-19. I'm not suggesting that that's not real. It is real. Um, but what, what got me about it, and again, I'm not, like, look, we, we, we shut down for like, you know, two, three months, right? We did the digital services, and I, and I was like, I get it, I'm with that. The, what, what bothers me about this, what really got me this week was that, Duke Newsom says, you peasants over here, you can't sing. But there's different rules depending on which peasant you are, right? Whichever, so for example, if you are doing something that I think is constructive, like advocating for racial justice, there's a different set of rules for you than there are for, some, for people who are doing what I think is silly, which is singing to an invisible fairy in the sky, Right, And so I set different rules up based on who's most important and who's doing meaningful things. And so I'm not going to lie to you, I got real upset. Because it occurred to me, very, very obviously, Gavin Newsom doesn't respect us. Right? He's like, he's like you guys are a bunch, you're nothing. You're wasting your time, you're idiots. And so I'm going to say no to you but other people who are doing more important, valuable things, I'm going to say yes to. And I've got my, ruffled my feathers. Because I think, by golly, what we're doing is important. And I demand to be respected as I deserve. And yet the one I follow had the glory of a billion sons and took all the attributes of a slave and washed the feet of his followers and allowed himself to be tortured to death for blasphemy and sedition. Jesus emptied himself of all the status, all the glory. He allowed people to lie about him, to slander him, to misunderstand him, to underrate him, to humiliate him. Because he had something bigger in mind. 
He had the redemption of the world in mind, and so he was willing to give up, to be poured out, to to let go of all the status of God so he could be a redeeming slave. And I'm wondering, Tom, are you willing to empty yourself of the status that you believe you so richly deserve? Coast, are we willing to be lied about, slandered, misunderstood, called bigots, racists, and homophobes, and transphobes? And to be thought of as second-class citizens. If we're called to it. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Are we ready to empty ourselves of status? Look at, look at what else Jesus empties himself of. Paul, Paul looks at this. He, he says he, takes, uh, he took the form of the slave and was born into human experience. Uh, some translations will say uh, came or became in human likeness. Uh, but really, that word there, the, the standard translation is just being born, birthed into, right? Birthed in human, and you could say likeness or fashion, manner. Um, and so I think the most natural translation, he's born like a human being, right? Here's eternal God, and he's born like a human, in blood, in mess. And then, what, he finds himself in human form. Again, I'm over-translating there. It's a, it's a passive being found in human form, but it's a divine passive. Paul is uh, he's, he's suggesting that, that, that he recognizes Jesus' divinity, so he treats him like God and uses a passive. But Jesus finds himself in human form and then humbles himself. So Paul's like, he's flabbergasted because here he's talking about um, someone who had all of the advantages, all of the attributes of the eternal God, infinity, all of the, the power, all of the, the might, all of the changelessness, right? No one, can, no one can affect God, right? No matter what you do, you can't change God. You can't make God different. You can't, you can't do anything to God, right? That's not true about human beings. If you come up here and you scratch me, I bleed. And Jesus came what? The human way. He, he came in a way that he could be impacted, affected. He, he came in a way that was limited, right? He, he, all of the infinitude of God, and he's limited to just being a normal human being. The next uh, slide is, is cool. This is God. This is a Michelangelo from the Sistine Chapel. Uh, this is God creating the, 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 the sun, the planets, and the moon. Right? God's like super powerful. The angels are like little cherubs being like, wow, you're incredible. And uh, we learn in John that, that this is done through Christ, right? Through the eternal word. That, that it's, the, it's, it's through the lens of Jesus. Jesus, all of creation comes through him into life. Okay? That's, that's what Je- that's what all of us come from. And yet, and yet, this is how Jesus comes into the world as, as our Savior. This is, uh, Spanish Alfonso Caro. 
This is um, uh, his take on the nativity. What's really fascinating about it is most of the nativity scenes from, uh, from art, like it's like this glorious thing and like the, the shepherds are like, wow, this is awesome. And there's tons of angels flying everywhere and there's gold and frankincense and myrrh and everyone's rich and wealthy and happy. In this one, the devil is there on the right, kind of looking over being like, oh boy, I'm going to run this one through the ringer. Most uh, pictures of, of, of Jesus in art tend to have a baby Jesus, having like this beautiful cherub with like a golden halo and whatnot. Uh, in this one, he's, he's naked and frail. Think, of, think about what that must have been like, right? What that, what was, and Paul's just, he's blown away. Here was, here was, you know, someone who has all the attributes of God. Infinity, uh, unchangeableness, uh, absolute uh, power over everything. And, and, and suddenly pours all that out. And is now at the mercy of the very creation that was made through him. He gives up all, in, in our terms, the way we think about it, the security of being God. I have a friend from college, Drew. His uh, family um, at one time was responsible, they, they had a company that was responsible for uh, 70% of the limestone in the United States of America called Mississippi Lime. And Drew's uh, grandma was a very paranoid person. Um, also very sweet, but very paranoid. And so she had m- so much money, she didn't know what to do with it. And so what she did was she purchased a mountain in uh, Mississippi. She pur- they don't have a lot of them there. It was more like a hill from our perspective, but in- there was a mountain. And she hollowed out the mountain and put inside a mansion that uh, could withstand nuclear blasts. Uh, she was personally afraid of aliens coming to abduct her, but this had a very solid ceiling, so she couldn't be lifted out of it. Um, and and it, it was, it had, like I said, it was, uh, it was designed to be up to the same standard and grade um, that uh, we would put the president in if, if nuclear war happened. Like, it, it was absolutely impregnable, impregnable. Basically, the Superman's fortress of solitude. And she went in there, and she basically stayed there without coming out for, like, the last 20 years of her life. She was so safe that nothing could touch her. She had the state-of-the-art air recycling system so that no, no germs could get in. It was sterile, hospital air. She was protected, safe. If she needed things, she sent people out to get them. They came back. They had to go through like a... I'm not kidding. This is all true, by the way. They had to go through like a... It's amazing what you can do with money. Uh, they, they had to go through a, uh, like a desterilization process. Um, her level of security... <laughs> As incredible as it was, she's still dead. And it was a fraction of God and God's eternal majesty. And Jesus empties himself of all of that to come and save us. Security is a big topic these days. Everyone wants to be secure. You saw that. You saw the the couple uh, where I think they're in Georgia. 
I have a picture of them, I think. Right? They, there were protesters um, in, in their backyard, and so um, they came out with weapons. My understanding is, uh, you can see here on the right there, the way she's holding that gun is a really bad idea. Uh, my understanding of firearm safety is I'm pretty sure she hasn't done any of it because it looks like she's about to shoot her husband in the head. Um, my understanding is that unless you're actually trying to shoot somebody, you should have the gun pointed down or like away from other people. Um, fortunately, nothing violent happened. Um, but you can see, I mean, I, I, I saw some pictures of this couple's house and I was like, yeah, I'd want to protect that too. That thing is sweet. Like, and so they were worried. They were scared because people were coming through their backyard and shouting at them. And, and, they, and they, they've seen the video clips. They know that there's danger on the horizon. So they got the AR-15 out and then the handgun because we've got to protect ourselves. We've got to protect our stuff. And then on the left there, you got masks. Um, masks and social distancing. Um, we're trying to... Uh, to flatten the curve, I think as of today, 132,000 Americans have died from uh, either COVID or complications from COVID. That's, uh, and everyone's like, what do we do to be safe? What can we do? Isn't it weird that the one being who had no security concerns. Poured it all out to come and be at the mercy of his own creation. And on the short term, that turned out to be a really bad decision because the creation didn't welcome him and say, ah, oh, finally, our Lord is here. The creation said, to the cross with you. And I'm wondering, in this time of unprecedented insecurity what if God is calling Christians to place our hope not in the things we have and not in our health but in eternity and what might that look like The third thing that Paul's interested in. Oh, the next thing your note sheets are we ready to empty ourselves of security? We have a security team here. There are people carrying every week to protect us. And I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm really not. I think they're wonderful. And I, I applaud people for trying to protect, you know, um, their families and, and, and whatnot. I'm not against that. I just, I, it just, I, I think that as Christians, we have to be honest about what Paul's saying. And Paul's saying, God had every opportunity to be safe. All he had to do was not come save us. Right? But it was worth it. And what might we be called to give up, to empty ourselves of security? What, might, what mission might we have that would be worth it 
to open our hands and to say, we're not going to hold it close. We're not going to value our lives above everything else. And believe me, I get it. I got kids. I know. All right, the last thing that Paul's fascinated by, he's, he's sitting there, he's been emptied, right? He can't leave, and, 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 and yet he sees whatever emptiness that he has, whatever he's been, whatever's been poured out of him is, is infinitesimal. It's, it's inconsequential next to the pouring out of eternal God to, to take on human flesh, to fit in humanity. And what happens? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience. This is the king of the universe. We call Jesus Lord. We don't call Gavin Newsom Lord. That was a joke. We call Jesus Lord because he's in charge. And yet, to come and be with us, Jesus set his own desires aside, his own authority, his own autonomy, and he comes to be with us and to do what the Father says. This is complicated because the Trinity is not three people. It's three persons, one God, and so there's no way in which the Father's will would somehow contradict what the Son desires. But nevertheless, the Son does submit to the Father, and the Son says, yes, Father, I will do this, even though, golly gee, I really don't want to, because it looks like it's going to hurt. We've got uh, another Michelangelo here. The, the 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 you know the remember this the the creation of Adam right um, the touch of of God. I mean, this is who Jesus is, right? This is who the Eternal Son is. He is life. He is sovereign. He is king. He is the one who bestows on us freedom and power and all these things. But it all is drawn from His nature. Who, who does God obey? Nobody. God obeys God. That's it. And yet, in the passion, Jesus is like, as you wish, even, and it's hard for us because we don't, uh, you know, capital punishment is so far removed from our experience. Even the idea that someone's executed is very rare in American culture today. Uh, it was not that way in the ancient world. Lots of people were executed. It was very frequent. Um, what crucifixion was, was crucifixion was the most humiliating way to execute someone. Most of the time, you just wanted to get your head chopped off, something like that. Crucifixion was what um, the Romans did when they really wanted to grind you on down. And they wanted to show everybody how low you are. And they wanted to warn everyone, don't do what this guy did. It was reserved for the worst of the worst, insurrectionists. What kind of king is that? It was a weird July 4th, that's for sure. No fireworks. So I was like, so we, you know, because the thing is, like I said, I've been riled up. So we finally, we put up an American flag yesterday. Um, I've never, I, I mean, it's not that I'm against that. I just never really thought about it. 
Uh, but now I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking about it because I'm like, man, this is, this is crazy. What's all, what's going on here? I don't know what's going on in the world. Um, and so I told Aaron, Aaron, I don't want to leave this place. You go find me an American flag and I'll put it up. And I did. I got very sweaty doing it and I did not like it, but it was worth it. It was worth it because, um, you know, I, liberty, freedom. It was kind of like, you've taken my freedom, well, you can't take away my flag, you know? And I was online, I was browsing online some other things that I want. I found this, this is cool. It's only $250, I wanted to get this. Don't tread on me. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a ceramic plate that you hang up in your house. Doesn't that sound cool? Like, I would get that, and then I would get like a double-barreled shotgun and put it right underneath, you know? I'd be like, welcome to the, welcome to the parsonage. This is where the, the servant of Christ is. <laughs> Paid for. But I, was, I, was, I, was like, I was going, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, only $250, why, why wouldn't I? Right? And then I was like, wait, this is crazy. It's not that I don't need, it's not that I don't believe in this. I do. It's like there's a part of me like, darn it. Newsome. But isn't it crazy? That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords poured all of that autonomy, all of that freedom, all of that power, all of that sovereignty out. So he could save the world. And I wonder, what would it mean for us to be willing, to be ready to give up our sovereignty, our autonomy, our ability to tell this is what I'm going to do and no one's going to stop me. It's the last thing in your note sheets. Are we ready to empty ourselves of sovereignty? This is, um, like I said, this is the bad news, okay? Uh, this is the bad news part of the sermon because uh, it's two parts. Uh, there is good news coming, but for right now, right now we kind of have to follow what Paul says, and, and, and Paul's very, very clear about who he thinks Jesus is, what he thinks Jesus did, and Jesus took all of the attributes of the Godhead, or not all of them, but a lot of the attributes of the Godhead and poured it out, let go of it, emptied himself of those things so that he could save us. He had a mission to come redeem the world, and, and it cost him. It cost him something, a lot. It cost him a lot, and, and it, it cost him, you know, the, the sovereignty. It, it, it cost him security. It, it, it cost him his status. Those things Jesus let go of because it was worth it. And we, I think, in this moment, especially those of us who are red-blooded Americans, we have got to think, what mission might God have, and are we willing are we ready to say, 
Okay, we're going to let him slander us. Okay, we're not going to impose our will on this. Okay, we're willing to be vulnerable. Okay, we're willing to do this. If God's calling, if he's ready, if there's something we got to go do, are we ready for this? Or are we so entrenched with a, this is who we are and this is my rights and these are this is who we, the, America, are we so in that that we're not ready to follow Jesus? And what might the calling be? What might we be called to do that might cost us these things? What redemption might God want to work through us that might cost us these things? Are we listening? Are we ready? Are we willing? Are we so caught up in what's happening around us that we're missing it? Yeah, it cost Jesus a lot. But the good news, and I just want to give you a taste of it, just a taste of next week. Because, yeah, Jesus gave up his status. He was willing to endure slander, vilification, humiliation. Yeah, Jesus gave up his security. He was willing to be changed and finite and hurt. And, yeah, he gave up his kingship, his rule, so that the creation could torment and torture him. But what happened next? If we could drop down to the, uh, the text. Therefore, Jesus did all this, and therefore, Yahweh the Father also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Do you see that? The status? Low? Flipped. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under earth. He lost his sovereignty here. He regains his sovereignty in the end. Lost his security here, but now he's in charge above, beyond anything that can hurt him ever again. Every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Poured out all the glory, poured it all out, and then got back even more. That God the Father glorified the glory of a billion sons. And Jesus at his right hand glorified all of humanity, knelt before him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I suggest to you, Coast Bible Church, if you are willing, if you are ready, if we are willing, if we are ready to give up our security, our sovereignty, our status, that something similar waits for us. And that we too may be exalted on the last day. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I ask God that you prepare our hearts and prepare us as a people to be willing to follow Jesus into the dark places. 
that we be willing to forgo the honor, the respect that we deserve. We be willing to forego the safety and security we crave. That we would be willing to give up our autonomy and our freedom and our sovereignty. To participate in your redeeming plan for the world. I pray, God, that you would give us the guts to follow Jesus even when it's hard, even when it's scary, even when it costs a lot. We praise you for his humility, his obedience, his willingness. We praise you, Jesus, as King of kings, Lord of lords, at the right hand of the Father, now and forever, swift to bring forgiveness, slow to anger, and yet ready to dispense justice and mercy. Jesus, we exalt you. We kneel before you and pray all these things in your name. Amen.